Well, good morning, Oakwood family. So glad that you're here with us this morning and for all of our family online as well. So glad that you are here uh, making a priority to worship your Lord and Savior, to be here as a part of the gathering of the saints. A very important, great day uh, because we are starting a new sermon series today called Better Than Normal. Now, let's go back for just a moment. It was about a year ago now, about right now, when we started asking this question, when will we get back to normal? Do you remember this? We, we, a lot of us have been on lockdown for a couple weeks. We were trying to figure out who was essential. Do you remember that? Who is essential? Was a, you know, is this essential? Was my business essential? Because, you know, UPS is always going to be essential. You know, we got to get our Amazon goods, right? And then uh, grocery stores, food, they decided food is essential. And, and all these things were going as essential. And, you know, this is non-essential. Lowe's was essential. I mean, that was amazing how many people were at Lowe's, but we, you know, how many people couldn't come to church because we had to cancel church. And then I remember getting on a uh, Zoom call with our governor at the time, and he said, I don't care what the federal government says. As far as I'm concerned, church is essential. I mean, we're really going to need you guys now and in, and in the next few months especially. And so the church, man, it's important. So, and, and, you know, we had a president at the time that came out a few weeks later said the church is essential. So uh, it was great. We got to come to work, you know. And we were actually thinking about ways to go underground if we needed to, you know. We'll have church at midnight on Thursday. Don't invite any friends. You know, let's come, come to the sanctuary Thursday. Shh, wear a mask, wear, an, wear a suit, an oxygen mask, whatever. You know, we were going to figure out how to do this thing because, you know, we felt like the mission of Christ needs to go on. And, and there's churches that, that pivoted. You know, we had, we had to change so many things so fast. Uh, the churches made that, that pivot and, and made some changes and figured out how to do things and how to do it safely and um, not, you know, not pass a virus to everyone in the world. And, and uh, man, and there's some churches that really struggled. I mean, we need to be praying for churches, you know. Uh, I, I know of a church that uh, lost about 25% of its people since they've been regathered and, um, you know, that had to lay off 25% of their staff. And, you know, I know that there are a couple of churches here in Enid that met for the first time last Sunday on Easter Sunday since last year when we shut down. I mean, if you think about it, that's just amazing. I mean, it, it, we're in these strange times, and I think we, we, well, I long for the way it was pre-pandemic, right? I long for the way it was before. I want things to get back to normal, but what I want us to consider in this series, if what, is, what if normal wasn't really that good? And what if we as Christians had kind of fallen asleep at the wheel? And what if we weren't really living the life that God had called us to live? And maybe normal wasn't right for us, and maybe there's a way forward. And maybe instead of us being so concerned about getting back to the, thing, to the way that things were normal, what if we could find something better than normal? What if there's something out there that's better than normal? I think one of the ways that we've done this in the last year is this. When the world pressed pause, the church pressed go. When, when the world pressed pause and began to, to lock down the church, we pressed go. We pressed on. We, you know, when everything was, was closing down, the churches were trying to figure out how do we move forward. Even in the midst of a pandemic and whatever else the world's going to throw our way, whatever kind of persecution, whatever kind of obstacles we're going to have to go, financial obstacles, and, and, and maybe there's some social obstacles that we're going to have to get through, or maybe even some physical things and some sickness and disease, and whatever it is, when the church pressed pause, the church just kept pressing on. And kept moving and striving and going forward. And that's what we have to continue to do. And I think it's appropriate that we would be characterized as this because of what the early church did. You see, the early church, uh, they, they kind of got pressed pause on. And, and our text today is out of this book of Acts where we read about the early church. And when the early church was encountering all these things, they weren't encountering a pandemic like a virus that was going around or anything like that, but they were, they were under a pandemic of persecution. You see, people that were following Jesus and following, uh, he became, to know, became known as the way, uh, probably got that ter term from uh, John 14 when he was in the upper room with the disciples and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think that the way stuck, and we see that in the book of Acts where he's actually referenced as the way. 
And some of the people that were persecuting Christians at that time were, no, do not, do not any longer speak in the name, being the name of Jesus. And they were called followers of the way, which was also pointing to Jesus. And yet in the midst of all of this persecution and all of these threats and everything that was going on at that time, when the world was saying, press pause, God's church was pressing on. And that's what we're going to read about this morning in our text I'm really going to hone in on one verse today. Um, So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be at verse 42. And as always, you're welcome to uh, get on your phone or your tablet, download the Oakwood app. All the sermon notes and all the scriptures are there for you. There's even a way for you to take notes and save your notes digitally right there, so uh, take advantage of that. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now let me me, uh, paint the picture of what's going on here. So Jesus has ascended into heaven. And uh, he left the church, he left uh, his apostles and his uh, disciples, the ones who were going to build the church, some marching orders. And he said, the Great Commission, we've been talking about that for the last couple of months, that we're supposed to go, we're supposed to make disciples. And then in in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses, all of you believers. And you're going to take this gospel into Jerusalem and Samaria and even to the ends of the world. You're going to take it just to everyone, everywhere, this gospel message. And so it begins right there in Jerusalem. There's only a, probably a handful of believers, maybe, maybe 120 or so. But those 120 became something that is known to us today as the church. And these followers of Jesus were taking it serious. And where we're at today is this is coming on the heels of the uh, disciple named Peter. You remember Peter that denied Jesus three times? And, and Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, well, no, Lord, you know I love you. Then he said, feed my sheep. And he said, uh, Peter, do you love me? And, and he said, Jesus, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. And they asked him a third time, and he said the same thing. Do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. And here's Peter in Acts chapter 2 doing exactly what Jesus asked him to do. He's preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus to the city of Jerusalem. In fact, if you read the verse just above Acts 2.42, look what it says there. It says that those who accepted his message that he was preaching were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Boom. Overnight, because these Christians took serious the gospel mission the church is a mega church overnight. Now, you, you may say mega church, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means big. And if you didn't know that, we, we categorize churches today. You know, the, if you, there's, there's all these categories of small churches, 200 people or less. And then you're in the medium church if you're 200 to 500. Uh, you're in the large church category if you're 500 to 1,000. The 1,000 to 2,000 churches are called emerging mega churches. And when you get 2,000 or over, those are the bigs, those are the mega churches. Guys, the church in Jerusalem was a mega church overnight. One time, Peter gets in there full of the Holy Spirit, and he preaches the gospel message. The people are stricken to the heart. 3,000 people are baptized that day. And then we get to Acts 2.42, our text today. Because this, this movement of believers, they were doing something special. And the church was growing, and the gospel was going out, and these people were maturing. These people were growing Christians, and most of us, we desire that. We want that. We're, we're here today because we want to grow. We want something from the Lord. So here we go. Let's see. What were they doing? Acts 2.42. says they devoted themselves. They were devoted. Like super dedicated people. Okay, they devoted themselves to what? And he gives us four things here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, not just any normal breaking of bread, but to the breaking of bread, talking about communion, and to prayer. And if you read on, you find out that these people were living the Christian life, but their, their focus, their devotion was on these four areas. That's what I want to share with you this morning. That's what I want to talk about this morning is what led to the supernatural spiritual growth of Christians right on the heels of Jesus ascending into heaven and the church being born. 
What were they doing? Why were, why were they so excited and why were they growing so much spiritually? And then there's this connection. People who are spiritual, they grow the body of Christ numerically as well. And so they weren't just growing deeper spiritually, the numbers were going up. People were hearing the gospel and responding and being baptized, and it was a normal thing. Well, we just experienced a few, a few minutes ago with Lily. That was just like normal. That was like they didn't have a service without, you know, 27 baptisms. You know, that was just part of the deal. And when God's people are taking serious the Great Commission and reaching out to the world and maturing and doing some of these things we're going to talk about today themselves, the church is going to grow spiritually. The bride of Christ is going to become even more beautiful and more holy and more pure and more active. But beyond that, you're going to see a bunch of more people find Jesus and make it to heaven because of the work of the bride of Christ. What should Christians today be doing to grow both spiritually and numerically? First thing that we need to pay attention to is this, devotion. Notice it says they devoted themselves. Devotion is a decision to dedicate yourself to someone or something. It's devotion is you dedicate yourself to something or to someone or to something. It's devotion. We, we, we think about this. This is a Greek word, and it's not so important that it's this Greek word, it's proskotereo. Um, it's, it's not so much about that, but, but listen to the meaning of this word. First of all, it's, it's, it's good to note that it's a continual state of devoting. Okay, so it says in, in, in English, in our translation, they devoted themselves. It actually should say they continually were devoting themselves. It's a present active participle. And so it's, this, it's pointing to this continuous action that is happening over and over and over again. This was a daily thing. It was a minute-by-minute minute thing. They were continually devoting themselves to these things. And because of that, they were steadfast. Listen to some of these words. Unremitting, persevering. They were in a relentless pursuit. Devotion. Dedicated. They devoted themselves. We devote ourselves to lots of things in life. Some of you might find that you are devoted to working out, right? Getting strong and getting toned and getting in shape. Some of you may find yourselves that you're, you're uh, devoted to eating healthy or, or just to being healthy. And you find yourself, you're devoted to that. And, and you find, man, I've, I've, I'm, I'm really dedicated to that cause. I, I, I'm steadfast. I'm unremitting. I, I'm in this continual state of devoting myself to these things. Some of us, we find ourselves devoted to a skill that we want to get better at. You know, I want to get better at shooting, so I'm going to go shoot more at the, at the target range, or I want to get, be a better fisherman, and so I'm going to go out there and, and practice my casting and, and try different baits, and, and I want to be better at this, and I want to be better at that. And so we we do what? We devote ourselves to these things. Some of us, we get caught up in relationships. We find ourselves devoting ourselves to another person. It's like, I love this person so much, I want to get to know them. I want to work on this thing we call relationship. And, and so we devote ourselves to a person or to a relationship. Some of us, we devote ourselves to a hobby, right? It's like, man, I want to be a better golfer, and I want to be able to not hit it out of bounds and in the woods. And so we practice the golf, and we practice all of these things, some of us, it's devotion to our work. I want to get better at my job, and I want to grow, and I, I want to get more awards and, and pay raises and more accolades. And, and so we do all of these things because we are devoted to them. Devotion means that you develop a discipline, and you make it a priority in your life. The question I have this morning is, what are you devoted to? And are you devoted to something more than you're devoted to the cause of Christ right now? Because it says here in our text that they devoted themselves to four things. Are we devoting ourselves to those four things? And if we were devoting ourselves to those four things, what would the church look like? Let's personalize it and take it maybe even a step deeper. What would your life look like if you devoted yourself? You might remember Several years ago, one of the fads that was going on is to have these um, kind of embroidered wristbands, and they said WWJD. Do you remember that? WWJD? Any WWJD people in the house? All right, put them up. That's right. Some of you still have them on. I see it. That's good. I, I was, this was in my youth ministry era of my life, and I was a really cool youth minister because I actually took a WWJD band and put it on my guitar. 
Okay, and if you're a guitar player, my, my strings were so far from my fretboard, bless my fingers, that I had room to put that underneath and it wouldn't even touch the strings. So I was the cool youth minister that had the, what would Jesus do on the neck of my guitar, okay? And I was just, I mean, kids would come to youth and be like, wow, he's not only got it on his wrist, he's got it on his guitar. I mean, that was the thing. But what was cool about that movement, though, was what? It was what it represented, and it was what we thought of. What would Jesus do? And I think as we look at this part of devotion, and we look at these guys, you have to remember, you know, they were considering what Jesus would do, not because, well, Jesus died a few years ago or whatever. No, no, Jesus died and rose from the, rose from the grave 50 days ago. Okay, we're talking like a month and a half ago is, is when we're reading this text today. And so this was very real to them. It was very important to them. They remembered Jesus' voice. They remembered what he sounded like. They, were, they walked with him and spent time. They remembered what Jesus smelled like. I mean, Jesus was close to them, so intimate with them. And they were considering, as we build God's kingdom, as we exercise and we make disciples, we exercise the Great Commission, and we live this, this holiness out into the world and out in our lives, what do we need to do? What would Jesus do? They were the originals. And when they figured that out, guess what they did? They devoted themselves to it. They dedicated themselves. They said, we're not going to be distracted by anything else in this world. I'm not saying we can't have a little devotion to something else, to our golf game or to our body, but that's not going to be the main thing. No, the main thing is going to be these things. Devotion is a decision to dedicate yourself to someone or something. What are you devoted to today? Second thing this morning, we should devote ourselves, we should be devoted to the learning of the scriptures. What does it say there in Acts 2.42? It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now you have to understand that uh, the apostles' teaching, what we're reading right now, was being written then, Right? I mean, I mean, there was like happening. The things we're reading about in the text, they were happening right then. So all that they had to go off of was the Old Testament. But they, were, they knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of the, of the Old Testament, and so they were listening to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles were the people that actually had been with Jesus, had seen Jesus, had experienced Jesus. And so they were taking their firsthand experiences and they were sharing them with people. And they were doing what had happened earlier in Acts chapter 2 where Peter was preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus to everyone. And so they dedicated themselves to that. Now this doesn't discount the Old Testament in any way because you read the New Testament, the Old Testament's all throughout the New Testament. It's in the Gospels, it's in the book of Acts, it's in all of Paul's letters to the churches. I mean, the, the Old Testament scriptures, they had those, but they were focused on the new covenant. They were focused on the sacrifice of the Son of God. They were focused on the fulfillment of all that prophecy there. And they dedicated themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the Word of God. Pre-pandemic is all I could pull for statistics on this. But in 2019, only 30% of churchgoers that would call themselves Christians read their Bible every day. That means that 70% of Christians that were churchgoers were not reading their Bible regularly before COVID-19. And an even sadder statistic than that, 12% in the survey said they never read the Bible. Never read the Bible. How can you know God when you don't read his word? If somebody wrote you a letter and they sent it to your house and you kept it but you never opened it, you just like left it sealed, just put it on the shelf. I mean, you're not even like curious about it, like open it up. And yet we read here that the early church and the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the Holy Scriptures. How can you know the heart of God? How can you know his plan for eternity? How can you know his plan for your life? How can you know anything apart from the word of Scripture? Because I want to tell you this morning, when you start getting into Scripture, you start reading the word of God, there's at least a couple things that are happening. First thing is, it's going to deepen your faith. 
If you're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm as strong in my faith as I want to be, start reading the Word of God. Start understanding what God wants for your life. And become aware of what he's asking of us. Become aware of what he's showing us. Become aware of what he's doing around us. And honestly, become aware of what he's doing in spite of us sometimes. And it's all right here. It's in his love letter to all of his children. It deepens your faith. The other thing I think there's a benefit of reading the word of God is that it deepens your understanding. What's going on in the world? Where do I put my hope? How am I supposed to live my life? How am I supposed to manage my finances? How's this marriage thing? I mean, God created that. How's that, how's that relationship supposed to work? How, how do all of these things tie together? And how do I live my life in such a way that I can have hope? How, how can I live my life in such a way that I have a hope of heaven someday? What is my response to today? And what everything that's happening in the world need to be? What are my what are my marching orders? What is my mission as a Christian? All of this is found in the word of God. And the early church and the early Christians devoted themselves to the teaching in the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this. It says, for this word of God is alive and active. Catch that. This word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. And being so that it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This scripture. And I think, church, Christians, we read too much that is not alive and active. And that many of you know more from the morning paper this morning than you do the scripture because you spend more time reading the paper than you read reading your Bible. And some of you know more about what's going on with your friends on Facebook or Instagram or what I like to call them, fake book and insta-lie. You know more from that, from sitting there scrolling on your phone and you're never in the word of scripture. And I'm thinking to myself, how can you be a Christian? How can this be that you would not read the word of God the living and active. And instead we read the dead and inactive. And we spend all of our time there. Maybe you're even reading some books and maybe you're even reading some Christian books and that's good, but you cannot replace it from reading the Word of Scripture. Well, I'll tell you, there's so many ways you can get involved in this. And I know some people say, well, I don't read the Word of Scripture because I don't understand it. I read the other day about Mephibosheth. And, and I read about this, and I read about that, and you're like, you know, I just don't understand what I'm reading. I understand it's a problem. We teach classes on that, on how to study the Bible, so you can understand what you're reading. Uh, we, we have people, I, I would meet with you. I know Alan, our, our, that's over adult discipleship, he would meet with you. Um, we will teach you, you know, and we can give you little tips like buy a study Bible. It's like, what's a study Bible? It's for studying the Word. You read the section of Scripture, there's little notes underneath that help you understand what you just read. I mean, there's, there's ways to understand it. And so don't let that be the excuse that oh, I got in this Old Testament book and I couldn't pronounce half the words in it. That's okay. They all have meaning and purpose. And all have actually greater meaning and purpose than you probably think. But understand that you need to devote yourself to the word of God. And don't read too much that is not living and active. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this about the Bible and about the scriptures. It says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's all ordained by God. It's breathed out by God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you remember the Great Commission? Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What is the word, the scripture for? It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? It says, the rest of this verse, so that, so that what? So that the servants of God, the real Christians, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped. You got all that you need. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that what? So that you can know what God wants in your life. So that what? So you can know what the future holds. So that what? 
so that you'll be obeying everything that he's commanded us. It's all through the word of scripture. We have to be devoted to learning the scriptures. Devote ourselves, even today, to the apostles' teaching that we read about here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all the whole rest of the New, the New Testament. And if you find yourself with this priority in your life that you're devoting yourself or dedicating yourself to, to Facebook or something like that, I'm just saying, spend the same amount of time in the Word of God and see what happens in your life. Because I'm telling you about some awesome things God has in store for you when you read His Word. Third thing this morning, we should be devoted to deep fellowship with other believers. We should be devoted to deep fellowship with other believers. Let's go back to the text. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship in the Greek is this word koinonia. Koinonia. You may have heard of that word before. Listen to, listen to what this word means. It means community. It means union, participation, association, partnership, fellowship is how we usually Translated into English, koinonia. This is not, koinonia is not just, I came into church this morning in the lobby, and there was old Eddie, and I said, hey, Eddie, I'm so glad you're here this morning, and we had fellowship when we greeted each other. No, that's not really what it's talking about here. That wasn't too deep. You know, well, but me and Eddie were going to lunch after church today. Well, there might be some fellowship that happened there. It depends on how the conversation goes. Does it say, does it stay surface level about the golf game or does it, you know, or about the ball game or does it actually go somewhere? But that's not really what these people dedicated themselves to. It wasn't just saying hi in the lobby or hi in the temple courts or anything like that. No, these people, they shared life together. They had this, they had this commitment to community. Because deep down inside each one of us, we have this desire to know others and to be known ourselves. And to have that in a very truthful, a very real, a very authentic, and a very genuine way. And the only way this happens is to fellowship, to have koinonia, a deep fellowship, a community, a union, a participation, a partnership with other believers. And the fact is that many times we just settle for a fake or a cheap version of this. Listen to this statistic. Because it's true that in the vast majority of churches, no more than 30% of people engage in a small group. Sunday school class. 30%. If you want to look at our statistics for Oakwood, we're about there. What that means is that 70% of you in the sanctuary right now don't practice koinonia. And so I've just offended 70% of you this morning. So, You know, we could do the show of hands. How many of you are involved in a small group or in a Sunday school class? We're not going to do that this morning, okay? So some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, hey. The deal is that this is what the early church, this is what the early Christians dedicated themselves to. They devoted themselves to. This was a priority in their life. They're going to make it happen. And I know there's so many excuses you can give me. And some of you guys have really good excuses because you've given to me before. I mean, I've heard them, you know. You got this or that, and most of, the, most of the time it's time. I just don't know if I have the time, or I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable in my own skin, my own prayer. I don't need to get no, no other people. And it's, you know, it's weird, and I always view small group like Oprah's book club, you know. And there's a Kleenex box we don't have to cry about. No, my, my small group never cries. But I'm telling you, we're getting, there, we're getting somewhere spiritually. We're in, the, we're in this deep study right now called Between Two Trees, between two trees in the scripture, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life and revelation. The Bible starts with the tree and ends with the tree. What's going on in between? Fascinating. That's what we do in small group. We learn, we grow, we deepen, and we're there for each other. We get to know each other. We, we, we pray for each other. We encourage each other. Maybe the time comes when we'll do what it said in the scripture I read before, rebuking, correcting. But don't settle for this cheap form of something that we call fellowship. It's not what scripture intended. It's not what God intends. And it's okay to get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes I think God's best work he can do in your life is when you finally take a step out of your comfort zone. Quit trying to manage your feelings 
and start managing your spiritual life by the Word of God. And I know, you know, a lot of times it's just, you know, I just, man, I just don't know if I, you can do it, okay? And you might get in a group, you know, I didn't like that one that made me itch like a sweater, you know, <laughs> like a sweater in July. And it's like, okay, well, then try another group, you know, or try another class or go to Sunday school next Sunday morning or, you know, find somewhere to connect with other Christians. And, and I would say this too, if you don't, if you can't find a group, start a group. Get together with some people, some friends, some people that you do say hi to in the lobby and, and say, hey, let's start reading scripture together. Let's do something crazy. Let's devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And let's see what God does when we do that. You want to hear what God continue doing? If you, if you have your Bible or your, uh, you're in the Bible app, you could even turn over a chapter or two. You get to Acts chapter 4. Listen to this, Acts chapter 4. Verse 4, it says, so the number of men, just counting the number of men, this does not include the women and children, but it says, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And as you continue to read the book of Acts, you find out that this church in Jerusalem is growing like fire. In fact, most scholars believe that by Acts chapter 4, the church in Jerusalem was now 20,000 people. Can you imagine being an Enid and having 20,000 people as part of your church. I mean, people are like, craziness, right? That's crazy. Now you understand why they were under persecution. The, the leaders of the city and the leaders of the old sect, the religious types, the Sanhedrin, and they're like, man, we got to manage this Jesus situation. In fact, well, well, it's funny what happens in, in chapter 4 is, is uh, Peter and John, they go before the Sanhedrin because they were causing quite a stir preaching about Jesus and people are coming, they're being baptized and people are excited, they're telling everyone. I mean, there's this stir in the city because these Christians are, are, are doing what they've been asked to do, right? They're, they're making disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples and, and it's going like wildfire. They actually get called in and they go before the Sanhedrin and they're warned. And, and, they, and the Sanhedrin won't even say the name of Jesus, like just do not speak in the name. They're not speaking that name anymore. They don't even say his name because there's power in the name of Jesus. They don't want to mess with that. It's like, just don't speak in the name anymore. And, and they, 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 they do things to these guys. All throughout the book of Acts, they, they, they beat them with, with rods. They throw them in jail overnight. And you're thinking, okay, they're, they're thinking that'll chill them out, right? Now they'll give up things like the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And yet you get to the end of chapter 4. And I don't know what your subheading says, but around verse 23, mine says the believers pray. After they were, they were warned, you know, don't do this, we're going to throw you in jail, we're going to make your life miserable, and we're going to beat you, and all these things. They get together with the other believers in Koinonia, and they pray. And they start praying, you're thinking, oh, they're going to pray, oh God, please protect me, please bring a hedge of protection around us. No, they were praying for, guess what, more Boldness. They said, though they're coming against us, God, give us more boldness. But where did these guys go after they were beaten and thrown in jail and all these things happened? They went back to the fellowship. They went back to the koinonia. They knew, hey, if this Jesus thing is going to get out of the first century with all the persecution and all the threats, death threats that are going on, we're going to need each other. And we're going to need to hold each other accountable. We're going to need to encourage each other. We're going to need to teach each other and, and, and just grow each other in Christ Jesus. That's what it's talking about in Acts 2.42. This fellowship. This deep yearning for community and union and belonging. Fourth thing this morning. We should be devoted to the priority of communion. We should be devoted to the priority of communion. Now, if you read there in Acts 2.42, notice that it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. If you go down just a few uh, verses down to verse uh, 46, the second half, it says that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Okay, that's actually talking about two different things there. Uh, the one that has the article in front of it in Acts 2.42, the breaking of bread, most scholars believe that's direct reference to Holy Communion. When Jesus said, you know, we break this bread and do this in remembrance of me. It's called the breaking of bread. But you'll see other times in Scripture where it says that they broke bread and they ate together. They were just having a meal and breaking bread and fellowshipping in, 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 in each other's homes. And so because of that reference there, and we see this throughout the book of Acts and in Paul's letters, that when the believers gathered together, that they 
oftentimes observed the breaking of bread. Holy communion. Remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And when they gathered, they wanted to center themselves on this. And that was, I think, Jesus' intention. When he was up in the upper room with the disciples the night that he was betrayed and the night before he was being crucified on the cross and he met with those disciples, he took the bread, the Passover bread, and he broke it and he passed out to his disciples. He, take, he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember my sacrifice because everything we do, folks, do you understand everything we do? Everything we sing, all the worship, Everything we do, the baptism, the preaching of God's word, everything we do because of what Jesus did. His sacrifice is central. And so he took that bread, he passed, he said, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And they took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. Take this and drink of it. It's the blood of the new covenant. Remember my sacrifice, do this in remembrance of me. I, I think it's appropriate this morning we usually do this at a different time, but hopefully when you came in this morning, you got one of these. This is how we do pandemic communion, right? It's prepackaged. And if you're at home, hopefully you got better than we got. You got real bread and some Welch's in there. But we're going to take communion together right now, just like the early believers did. When they got together, they wanted to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And remember, this is the center of our worship. This is the center of our life. This is what makes eternal life and peace with God possible, is the sacrifice of the Son of God. So let's take the bread right now, and let's take the body of Christ together. And then Jesus took the cup, he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the blood of Christ together this morning. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, we pause right now in the middle of a sermon to acknowledge you and to acknowledge your sacrifice, God. So precious to us is the blood of Jesus that covers all of our sins it helps us to, to walk in newness of life. It gives us forgiveness and a second chance that we can live out and be the new creations we're intended to be when we put our faith and our trust in him. God, we thank you for this time, and I pray you'd always remind us, God, as we come and assemble here, as we maybe even come and assemble in our small groups, God, that when we come together, we remember the whole reason we meet is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Early believers, they devoted themselves to the priority of taking communion. It was, it was them being a part of the Jesus movement. They weren't just doing Christian things. They were being a part and participating in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it meant so, so much to them. Here at Oakwood, when we take communion, we actually uh, take open communion. What that means is that you don't have to be a member of, of our church. Uh, we believe this is the Lord's table, and, and anyone that's a believer in Christ is welcome to come. To, to participate just like we did just now. To gather around the Lord's table and to celebrate and remember his sacrifice for us. Always be thankful for that. These early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and last but not least, to prayer. To prayer. We should be devoted to prayer. There's so much the scripture talks about in regards to prayer, the, the, the frequency of prayer, and, and we're actually going to talk about this more in depth next week, so I'm not going to talk very long about this, but prayer is communication with God, and scripture tells us it should be constant. Now, when I was a kid, I thought, well, when you prayed, you had to bow your head and close your eyes, 
But then as you get older, you realize you don't have to do that, that God hears you. You can just speak out. You can you know, just pray in your mind. You can give a silent prayer. You, you're just focused attention, focused communication with God. And that's good because it's, you know, if you're praying while you're driving, you don't want to close your eyes and bow your head. That's, insurance company doesn't like that. Neither does mom or dad. So teenagers, take note, right? But we, if you have this conversation with God, you'll find that it just keeps going. You know, it's not some formal thing. It just keeps going, and you're talking to God all the time. And he wants that. And the early church, the early disciples, they devoted themselves to prayer. And they were a people of prayer. It wasn't something they just did on the weekends at church. It wasn't something they just did when they were about to eat. They had a life full of talking to God, crying out to God, presenting their request to God. And next week, we're going we're gonna to focus on that even more. I want to close with this this morning. Devotion is more than a decision. It is a discipline even in the face of difficulty. Devotion is more than a decision. It is a discipline even in the face of difficulty. You know, we've, we're coming out of this, this year of a, a pandemic and let's admit it, that a lot of us, we can make some pretty good excuses of why we didn't do this or why we didn't do that or why we pulled out of the fellowship or, or you know, why, why we weren't reading our Bibles much or praying or, or maybe we found ourselves on the increase in that, which would be appropriate and good. But we have to make a decision about what we're going to devote ourselves to. I think... I think if you put yourself in, in uh, Satan's shoes, do you think you're going to try to make it easy on believers to devote themselves to these things? I mean, do you think Satan like wants you devoted to knowing the Word of God? No. Do you think he wants you devoted to fellowshipping with other believers? No. Make lots of excuses of why you can't do that. Do you think he, do you think he wants you to be devoting yourself to the breaking of bread and remembering the sacrifice of Christ and keeping that center in your life? No. Do you think he wants you constantly talking to God, communicating to God, praying to God? No. Those are some bad things if you're Satan, right? But I've always said this, I've said this many times, and I really believe it. If the devil can't make you bad, he's going to do what? He's going to make you busy. And he's going to use it as a distraction. And I think that's where most of us find ourselves this morning. It's not that we're bad people. It's not that we want to walk away from God. We want to grow in Christ. But the fact is we're just not devoted to it. Because we're too devoted to other things. All the cares of this world. Some of us were too devoted to looking good on the outside because on the inside, some of us were just too devoted to our money and what it can buy us, and we just we like our money. Just going to pursue and devote ourselves to making more and spending more. Some of us, it's just man, I'm just I'm just obsessed with golf. I'm obsessed with fishing. I'm obsessed with hunting. I'm obsessed with reading. I'm obsessed with all these things. You're like, oh, those aren't bad things. But if they become the main thing in your life, then the devil says, good, <laughs> good. You're distracted. That's what I want. And I think that even the early church and the apostles, they devoted themselves so they would not be off course and so they would not be distracted. And they devoted themselves to all of these things. And I wonder, if we just went back to normal, if we could just get back to when things were normal, was normal really where God wanted us? I mean, that was it for us, right? No challenges. Nothing further, nothing deeper. Nothing to leave you yearning for something different. What if we as Christians and as God's church, what if we don't desire normal, but what if we can pursue something that's even better than normal? I'm telling you this morning, in its simplest form, it starts with these four things. Watch your life change. Folks, watch this church change. If we will devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You just do your part this week. You say, that is going to increase in my life this week. And if I've been putting things off, like joining a small group, this is my week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Alan Seibel. I want Alan Seibel, I want his phone blown up this week. Eric, I got 60 people want to be in small groups. Let's see, that's not enough. It's 30%. So good. I have 450 people, Eric, that want to be in small groups this week. We're going to have to get some new leaders. Hey, give us some problems to work on. God will figure it out. Yeah, I'm going to make church attendance and taking communion a priority in my life. And you know what? I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start reading the Bible. And you watch how your life changes, and you watch how the influence changes. You watch how God starts doing these amazing, miraculous things in your life. And man, you're going to be like, so full of him. So full of him. And we'll be walking out the gospel orders, and we're going to fill heaven with God's children. Because we are devoting ourselves to the things that he wants. Let's pray about that right now. Lord God, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that he is, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our Master. And we serve him and we say when we come to you that we live our lives for him. We, we dedicate our lives to him. And, and God, we are... Maybe some of us are falling under conviction this morning because we have not been devoting ourselves to these things. And we need to get our Bibles out or get our phones out. We need to start reading the Scripture. And we need to make that a priority in our life, that we're going to read that before we read anything else. Lord, that we are going to devote ourselves to fellowship. We're going to find our people. We're going to find some people that we can read the Word together and we can just talk about how it applies to our lives and we can pray and encourage one another. We can rejoice when there's rejoicing in our group and maybe someone goes through a loss or needs to be lifted up at some time. We can lift each other up. Lord, we're going to find our people. We're going to get together. We're going to start doing life together. We're going to have some koinonia. We're going to experience community and union and partnership and fellowship in the gospel. And some of us, Lord, we, we need to commit ourselves to be a people of prayer. And we don't communicate to you except when someone does it for us or Sunday lunch, and that's it. God, help us to communicate you with you even more. God, help us to be a people that are devoted to the things that you want. Because through that, Lord, we know life, life can be better than normal. I pray that for our church. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this morning as we continue in worship to sing about our God who loves us, who is open arms, ready for us, cares about us, and will always forgive us.
On behalf of all of us here at Oakwood Christian Church, I want to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. And we want to connect with you. And one of the ways that we can do that is there's a little card for you that are here in person in front of you in the pew. It's called a Connect card. And you can fill out as much information as you feel comfortable sharing with us. If you're online, there's also a way to do that with some links on there as well. Just fill out as much information as you want to share with us. And there's some little boxes. If you're ready to take your next step in Jesus Christ, whether it's to join a group, maybe it's to start serving, maybe it's for baptism or membership, uh, you can connect with us that way. And you can drop those connect cards in the little boxes, the offering boxes at the back of our auditorium on your way out. A couple of uh, announcements real quick before we get to our offering time. We have Discover Oakwood immediately following this service, and it will be in our dining room in our Oakwood Activity Center. It's an introduction to Oakwood Christian Church. You'll get to meet some of our staff, some of our leadership, and we're going to feed you lunch. If you'd like a tour of our building, we'll give you a tour of our building. You give us one hour, and uh, we want to just introduce you to the ministry of Oakwood Christian Church. Then a week following on a Wednesday night, the 21st of April, we have Commitment 101. That's kind of the next step after Discover Oakwood. If you're ready for membership and want to find out a little bit more about our beliefs and things like that, we invite you to come to that, Commitment 101, on April 21st. Your bulletin's got a lot of announcements in there. Two of them that I want to quickly highlight is we have a blood drive next week. You can sign up online through the Oklahoma Blood Institute. You can follow the instructions online. There's some little uh, flyers and, and little invite cards in our lobby. Pick one of those up. It'll direct you to the website of Oklahoma Blood Institute. You can uh, save some lives. Just we encourage you to do that. We'll also feed you lunch if you uh, stay here and give blood. We have a security team here at the church, and they are going to have a training meeting tomorrow night at 7. And maybe you're not on the security team, but you're interested in being on the security team. We're going to invite you to come check that out at 7 o'clock, and that's going to be also in the dining room of our activity center. So uh, I want to invite you for that. We have several ways that we uh, make offering very, very easy during this time of pandemic. We can... You can text to give, you can get online and give, uh, you can do it through the mobile app. And we've also got these neat little boxes at the back, uh, right on the doors or, or on the wall as you leave that you can drop an offering if you're here in person. Those that are online, there are instructions there on, on your uh, menu there how to give online. So we want to just encourage you to do that and thank you for your faithfulness. And I'm going to turn the mic over to two of our elders and they've got uh, something that they want to talk to you about. Good morning, Oakwood. I said that without the mic this time because this morning I scared people. So um, they can never have time to adjust the volume to my voice. Uh, as he said, we're elders in your church. My name is Michael Nelson, and this is my friend Scott Morris. 
Um, and we want you guys to know that uh, we understand that this is not our church. This is God's church. And because it's God's church, we really um, want to be more intentional this year than we have before on choosing leaders in the church, um, especially our elders and deacons. And uh, so we've already, as a group, have started praying for God to show us and send us um, potential elder and deacon candidates for this upcoming um, year, 2022, okay? Um, but what we would want to ask you guys as a congregation is to join us in that prayer. Please pray for, for us to have guidance um, and for those uh, elder and deacon candidates to be made known for us, all right? Also, if you know someone that might be a good elder or deacon candidate and they meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus uh, chapter 1, um, so please make sure those qualifications are met. Please come to one of us um, elders and tell us who they are so we can look into um, interviewing them and seeing uh, if they will be a good fit for this um, congregation, for this church, for God's church. All right? Thank you. What a great service this morning. Um, yes, yes. Uh, I... This last year has been a challenge for a lot of us. A lot of us have, we, ha we have had to do some social distancing, and, I, and I, think we, I think we've made it clear that we need each other. We can't do this alone. And, you know, Eric, Eric talked about it today, but I, I want to challenge you to, if you're not in a group, to find a group. And that if you've got friends or neighbors that need to be in a group, start a group in your front yard. Start a group on your back porch. We need each other. Um, Today, if you felt God's calling, God's t God tugging on your heart, um, come up here. Come up here after the service. We've got elders and staff that would love to pray for you, whether it's a, a need that you have or maybe you want to come to Christ today. So uh, I would love to pray for us and dismiss us. So stand with me and we'll dismiss in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this Sunday, for this uh, chance we can just be together. And God, I pray that you would go before us. I pray that you would um, help us to be obedient to uh, the opportunity that you put in front of us. Father, help us to lean into you. Help us to be devoted to you. And uh, Father, I pray that you will use us all as your vessels to advance your kingdom. God, you're so good. And we just, uh, we just, we just want to glorify you with everything that we say and do. Uh, be with this church throughout the next days and the next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.